Welcome to the fucking show. And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Uh, how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to episode 88 of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. Welcome back. It is good to be talking to you once again. On this week's episode of The Sack, we have a mail sack with a ton of questions. Thank you so much for sending all of those in. We have a look ahead to week three of the NFL season, and we are looking also ahead to week four in college football. We have a jam-packed show. Before I get into that, again, as always, I do have to remind you, like, rate, review, subscribe, all that other good shit, however you get your podcast, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or some other random app. It means a lot to me, and it helps out a ton. So without further ado, we got a jam-packed show. Let's just get right into it. Let's get into the mail sack. Our first question on the mail sack this week comes from Brian O'Neill, who asked, who you got for the Birds-Boys game Monday night? There is a right answer. Brian, I know what you want me to say. I know you want me to say fly equals fly. That Jalen Hurts is going to put up 400 yards, four touchdowns. Miles Sanders is going to contribute with 100 on the ground, two touchdowns. Rager, Smith, all those guys are going to go off. I do not know if the Cowboys defense is going to be able to slow down what the Eagles have going on. The Cowboys defense played extremely well last week against the Chargers out in L.A., There was a bit more of a running game for the Cowboys in week two rather than week one. It seems to be that's the recipe for success. Established run with Zeke and now coming on Tony Pollard. And let Dak not be a game manager but pick his spots when he's going to air it out. On the Eagles side of the ball, you lose Graham, the talented defensive lineman, leader in sacks for the team last year. It'll be interesting to see if they can get some pressure and stop the run game or at least slow it down and maybe make Dak have to beat you. But I think there is a ton of... If you're saying, hey, let's just let Dak beat us, that's not an easy thing to do either because Dak is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL as well. I just think that the Cowboys have a better team, more complimentary weapons on offense, better offensive weapons than what the Eagles have. And I think the defense for the Cowboys, it's... It's not a top defense in the league by any means, but I think it's better than the Eagles defense right now Um, just through two games. With that being said, I will take the Cowboys in this one, Bronio, and I apologize because I know that's not what you wanted to hear at all. Uh, Moving on, we have two questions about the Ryder Cup, so I'm going to combine them into one. Ty Spalding asks, which American shines in this year's Ryder Cup? And then Jake Maddenly asks, what are my thoughts on who wins the Ryder Cup? Who is going to take Patrick Reed's spot as Captain America? So, first off, thank you, too, for asking about this. I'm looking extremely forward 
to this Ryder Cup. Uh, been a few years without it because of the COVID and the pandemic and everything. So it's nice to have it back. It's great that it's back on American soil. I was listening to a podcast before bed about the Ryder Cup this year. And going into it, I sort of thought like home field advantage, the Americans sort of run away with this one. And then I heard something from the from the podcast I was listening to. Uh, it was a Shane Ryan podcast. Shout out to him. Absolutely love his work on the Ryder Cups. I 100% endorse going and reading and listening to what he has to say about the Ryder Cup on his podcast and his books and everything like that. But he was saying... The Europeans winning on American soil, it's from 1991, there's a pattern. It goes loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, all the way up until this year where if the pattern continues, it's supposed to be a win. Looking at the course setup for what Whistling Straits is, it's going to be styled as a Lynx type thing. It's really not, but the... It does reward longer hitters. We get that. We understand that. And if you look at the two teams, the Americans have that. It does require some accuracy because on most of these fairways, the further up you are going to hit it, the narrower the fairways are. That puts a premium on accuracy, which in past Ryder Cups, especially the last one in Paris, we saw that the European team was just way ahead of the Americans in accuracy. Taking that into account, and then you want to talk about the team chemistry with the Americans, with guys like Brooks and Bryson and their little spat. I'm so sick of those two. Absolutely sick and tired of those two. And then you have the European team who really the only, like, if you even want to try and call it a storyline of two guys butting heads is Sergio and Padraig maybe not getting along super well in their playing days, but... Besides that, the European team seems to be the better team, while the Americans have the better overall players. I ultimately think that the Americans do end up winning, but I do not think that Brooks or Bryson play a huge role in going on and winning this thing. I know people are going to want like those two to possibly be paired at one point. Bryson yesterday coming out, with that, with the video of him and Brooks talking on the range and saying that, hey, we have something fun coming planned up and it's going to happen this year. Uh, a few people on Twitter, no laying up, shout out to them. They suggested and they sort of broke some news that it's probably going to be one of the, like, the match series that's on TNT uh, that'll be happening in November that those two are going to play. Great, whatever. I do not give a shit. I'll watch it, but I do not care. Um, but on the United States side... To answer some of your all's questions, players that we can look for that I think are going to be Captain America-ish, I think Justin Thomas, I know that's sort of a homer pick, but he seems like one of the guys that in these team play competitions, going back to the Ryder Cup last, uh, last time it happened, and going to the President's Cup, he seems to actually care. And that's been a knock on some of the guys from the United States. Yes, they they care about this, but they're not willing, it seems like at times, to put the betterment of the team or come together as a team to win these things. They still want to win, but they're not willing to take the steps to ultimately do that. JT seems like a guy that will do that. Also, if you just want to look at who's probably going to play the most and has an opportunity for a ton of points, I think Cantley and Xander are probably going to roll out there five times. 
and have a good chance to win. They were money at the President's Cup last time against the Internationals. It'll be interesting to see how they do together with bit more expectations on their shoulder they came into that president's cup um and they were paired together and did extremely well but there wasn't this known what they have in this commodity and there's no pressure on them going into that here it's like well we sort of think this is probably our 1a or 1b team of our two guys you could argue spieth and thomas is the top top thing coming into this the top group but i think those guys have a lot of chances for points coming in because of just they're probably going to play five sessions a guy that I think is going under the radar is Harris English I think he can be very good and then also Daniel Berger I don't know how much Daniel Berger is going to play but he if he can get out there in some key matchups that maybe at the time we're not sure if they're key matchups but if he can secure a couple wins a couple important halves if that um I think he has a good chance to be this sort of quiet killer and have a bit of a mystique about him that Patrick Reed had as this Captain America type thing. A player I'm very intrigued by this week is Colin Morikawa. I'm interested to see who Stricker pairs him up with. I'm interested to see how he's going to play. He's not been in recent form since the British Open, the back of his has caused him some issues I'm going to be real interested to see on how he plays in his first Ryder Cup excited to see then I'm also excited to see how John Rahm coming off of the disappointing miscut at the Fournette how he is going to respond I'm interested to see how Tommy Fleetwood without his boy Francesco Molinari who's he who is he going to pair with and how he is going to play Um, all indications show that he's probably going to be paired with Terrell Hatton and I love those two together Interested to see for the Europeans how the elder statesmen in Poulter and Sergio and Lee Westwood, how those guys all come together. And I think a guy on their side that can be sneaky dangerous is Shane Lowry. He hits the ball great. He's great around greens. And when the putter is hot, it's one of the hottest on tour. I think if he can get in um, a couple sessions early on in the week and get that momentum going for Saturday and Sunday, I think he can be pretty dangerous for the Europeans as well. You look, I think this team for the Europeans starts with John Rahm and Rory McIlroy. Take this how you will. Rory, in his press conference, looked a little tired. Um, That is just me speculating. The press conference he had on Tuesday, he did look a little tired to me. But um, you got to imagine, he's probably going to get rolled out there at least four times, probably five times, unless he goes up to Padraig Harrington and demands a break which I highly doubt Rory's going to do that unless it's for the betterment of the team then I think Rory has the foresight and everything to do that but ultimately there's a ton of storylines in this at the end of the day I will take the Americans to win this I'm gonna go to break the pattern it would not surprise me in the slightest though if the Europeans did win this just because of all the outside noise and the just bullshit storylines of division within the USA of Bryson and Brooks and all that. And it'll be interesting to see how Stricker handles this. Stricker seems to be like a don't rock the boat type of guy. He seems very poised and calm, but it'll be interesting to see if shit starts hitting the fan, how Stricker is able to handle that. So ultimately, there's my things, players to watch. Uh, JT 
Cantley, Xander, Harris, and DB straight Vibin for the Americans to be, and especially JT to take over that Captain America role. And if it's not him, then I think that Berger has a great chance to do that. Our next question comes from Jack Muldoon, who asks, can we get a little dialogue on your favorite meal? He goes on to say, assuming it's Diorio's buff chick or roosters. It is not Diorio's buffalo chicken because I can never get it how I want it. It is uh, always without onions uh, because you and Trent seem to be childish and refuse to have onions on pizza. But it is not either one of those. If the favorite meal I've ever eaten was probably at Chapman's in Pine Needles in North Carolina that I had with my dad at the end of our golf trip. Um, going into the day before we left, I just, it was good. Um, it was nice to share that with him after a tumultuous two years he and I had. Um, it sort of felt like a, a nice little getaway thing. That was probably the favorite meal, but on a reg, a meal that I'm eating on a regular basis, yeah, it's probably roosters, the wings, the fries, the blue cheese. Uh, all in all, I think they are pound for pound the best wings, um, in the game right now so that's probably my favorite just meal i can get any time moving on we have a question from kendy poston who has alligators or crocodiles neither i hate them both they are absolutely terrifying to me they literally there's literally no place where we are superior to them um in water they have the edge over us and on land they are as fast or faster than us as long as we run in a straight line you climb up into a tree unless it's severely up they can jump and grab you um i do not fuck with crocodiles nor alligators i do not like either of them i will not be seeing an alligator later or a crocodile in a while just fuck them both uh our next set of questions comes from bailey layman who asked thoughts on desmond ritter and what are your thoughts on him going to the nfl desmond ritter for those that don't know, starting quarterback for the Cincinnati Bearcats, top, at least top eight, I'm not sure right off, top eight team in college football right now. He had a little, little Heisman hype coming into him this season. Desmond, if you don't know, also played football at St. Xavier High School, where I went to high school, was on a team or two with him there, um, truthfully. If you would have told me that he would have gone to these heights, that from St. X to where he is now, I would have possibly had a hard time believing it. But he put in a ton of work, had a great support system around him there at St. X that propelled him to go on to Cincinnati. And then once he got there, he further developed and took over there and has been an incredible starter. I think he has a good chance to make some noise with Cincinnati this year in the college football just landscape, possibly as a chance to go to the playoff, which would be massive for Cincinnati after what they've continued to build there under Coach Luke Fickle. They have a huge matchup against Notre Dame, Coming up, um, I believe next week, or it's either this week or next week, I think it's next week, that I'm super excited for. I think Cincinnati goes and wins that game. Desmond's going to have to play a great game, and I think it's possible doing that. To answer the second part of your question about the NFL, I've seen a ton of mock drafts with him going there and being drafted, and hopefully he can go on and have a successful career 
in the NFL. I think he's got the body type for it. I think he's got a strong enough arm for it. I think he's mobile enough to move in the pocket. I think he's smart enough. I don't think there's really any reason he can't go and be successful in the NFL if he does end up making it there. Uh, the next question we have comes from Michael Bennett, who asks, can you walk us through Bobby Lashley's WWE career? Bobby Lashley was the first man to break Chris Masters' um, Masters lock. He was a ECW champion originally in the redo of the updated WWE ECW. He was an Intercontinental Champion many times over. In his first run with the company, he his probably most prominent match and role he had was the WrestleMania 23 match where, shockingly, um, Donald Trump was in the corner of Bobby Lashley and Vince McMahon was in the corner of Umaga. And the loser of that match between Umaga and Bobby Lashley, the person in the corner, so Vince McMahon or Donald Trump, had to shave their head. As we all know, Bobby Lashley won that match. Vince McMahon shaves his head. He starts wearing a do-rag, whatever, whatever, whatever. But back to Bobby Lashley. His first run in the company doesn't go... It, does, it goes good, not great. He leaves. He goes to MMA. He starts fighting in Bellator. I think he's never lost in any MMA fights he's had. He goes over to Impact for a couple years, and then he re-signs with the WWE. He comes back. He's sort of this mid-carter guy. Has a weird phase where... He, like, bends over and he points to his ass and he's like, check it out. Um, I don't fucking know what the hell that was. But has that weird little phase and then he pairs up with MVP and the Hurt Business and he starts elevating his game. And his in-ring goes up and then it all culminates with him winning the WWE Championship. Finally getting that recognition that I think he should have gotten his first run. I assume that Vince and the WWE just thought he wasn't ready ever at the time, which... There had to have been some point you could have put a title, a top championship on him, but they just didn't. But it comes around, he opens WrestleMania this past year and retains that WWE championship against Drew McIntyre. He just recently lost the WWE championship after a successful Big E Money in the Bank cash-in. He is, I think, slated to probably main event the Extreme Rules pay-per-view uh, coming up this Sunday against, I think it's Big E again. If I, I think a rematch for that. But ultimately, I think the second run that Bobby Lashley had in the company for WWE is much better than the first. So I'm glad you asked about that. Uh, Mike goes on and asks, who wins the St. X vs. Trinity game this week? I sort of, I'm very loosely keeping up with the St. X Trinity seasons that they've been having. From my understanding, Trinity has not won a game, and St. X has won a few tough games. They lost a tough game, though, to Mail. Um, ultimately, I think St. X probably does, right? Like, if you just go on based off schedules and everything, the Trinity defense in past years has looked like one of the best in the state. This year, they're giving up a ton of points. They look gettable. Um, hopefully, San X can take advantage of that and use some of the weapons they have on offense and go and put up some points and win this game. Uh, Mike also asks, let's see, can you walk us through your podcast prep, notes, research, recaps, etc.? So the first prep that I try and do is I try and watch every game possible because I'm, I know I'm going to be talking about, about games, obviously. So I try and watch 
or at least see highlights of every NFL game and every top college football game. Um, I'm not really taking notes during those. If I do, um, I'll put it in my notes app and go back and reference that when I am talking about that if there was something I saw or something I wanted to convey about the game that I'm watching. Also going and looking at it, um, to get stats and everything, I go and I use a couple apps, the ESPN app, the score app, and just get stats about that. I jot those down and talk about those. Um, notes. Uh, the only other notes that I really take are the uh, sack picks. I write those down before um, I record so I can know what games I like and everything. But... Like I said, mostly the biggest thing for me is taking in and actually watching as many of the games that I feel like I'm going to be talking about, actually watching those because box scores are a bit deceiving from what maybe the actual game was. Like you can go and look back at the Lions and the 49ers in week one. If you saw just the box score of that, the 41 to 33 or whatever it was you might think wow this is a really close high scoring game or whatever but it's not going to tell the entire story because the 49ers got out to that big lead and then the Lions came back you just think hey it was a real tight close game the entire way when it really wasn't so watching highlights at the very least but trying to watch as many games that I know I'm going to be talking about as possible is imperative because it helps me relay accurate information to the listeners our next set of questions comes from Trent Revelette, who asks, how bad is Woodford Reserve? I, myself, am not a fan of the dark liquor. Um, I don't think I dislike it. I certainly am never going to be like, hey, give me a shot of Woodford, or give me a mixed drink with Woodford. It's just, uh, it's not in my... It's not in my immediate plans. So in that case, if how bad it is, then I think it's probably pretty bad. But I understand why people like it. And I understand why that it's enjoyed. But it's just not for me. And then Trent goes on. And this is merely a statement, moreover. But pee is stored in the balls. Could be. I certainly am not disputing that. Um, but I feel like it's pretty if it wasn't stored in the balls, then I don't know where it is stored. So, you got a point there. Uh, moving on, we have a question from Alex Winkler uh, who asks, Which of your friends has the worst fantasy team? Jalen Hibbs has the worst fantasy team that I know of. I also have a pretty bad fantasy team right now in my grade school league. Um, at a year old's league, I'm not 100% sure who has the worst. Um, but right now, Jalen Hibbs... And myself have two of the worst teams that I know of. Moving on, Polly Marino asks, how's Goof doing? I'm so sick and tired of this Goof bullshit. Um, he did okay in week one. He did okay in the first half of week two. And then he had some few questionable decisions and turnovers. He's doing all right. Um... It's kind of obvious that he doesn't have the offensive system totally down yet with new offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn there in Detroit, but that time it'll come. And Jared Goff is, he's a serviceable, decent NFL quarterback. He uh, he, he took a team to the, to the Super Bowl. We saw that. Um, 
it's just managing expectations with him, which I think is hard to do, but I think he's doing uh, totally fine. Moving on, our last set of questions. Uh, let's go. I'll raffle through some statements. Uh, Dave Taduri says, Browns winning the North, not a question, a statement rather. I sure hope so. It scares me to see what the Ravens were able to do on Sunday Night Football this last week, but uh, I think it is, a at the moment, a two-team race between the Browns and the Ravens. I don't think the Steelers are going to play a big part in it, and I think the Bengals are beatable. Uh, Hannah Burns says, and this is the this is a numerous times she said this to me when I post this, and it is mind blowing to me because she can literally ask anything in the world, anything at all, and I'm going to answer it more than likely. But Hannah Burns says, "I want to ask a question, but for some reason I get so nervous every time you post about it." Go ahead and ask all your fr- at least I'd say. 75% of like your friend group or whatever has sent a question in at one point or another. It is literally no big deal at all for you to send anything in. Um, and then, like I said, our last <clears throat> excuse me set of questions is from Davis Canapel, who asks, What the fuck is going on with Ohio State? I'm fully on board with canning Carrie Coombs. Hate to say it. <clears throat> excuse me. Dave, I share in your frustrations... I talked a little bit about last week, but I think Ohio State's in a very tough spot with what the defense is doing. That game on Saturday against Tulsa literally felt like just the most, eh, like, let's just get this game fucking over with game of Ohio State that I've ever watched. Uh, It was a weird time slot at 3.30. The attendance was low. The performance on the field was iffy at times. Uh, Travion Henderson was a bright spot. There was a few bright spots on the defense with Cam Martinez, um, Cameron Brown, Tyreek Williams. There was a few bright spots, but back to your original point about Kerry Combs. I think they're going to keep him on staff through this year, and I think they probably keep him on staff through next year to help with recruiting and everything, but he will not be a defensive coordinator again for Ohio State. If he's willing to take a reduced assistance role, then he'll stay on and be good for recruiting and everything like that. But besides that, I do not think he's ever going to reach at Ohio State the level of importance as a defensive coordinator again. This year, right now, they're a work in progress. They're young. I get that. There is experience, though, that is just not playing up to how well they can be. The defensive line, the older guys like Harrison and Smith – They're just not performing as well as they could be. I want them to so badly because I'm a big fan of both of those guys. But younger guys like Jack Sawyer and JTT, they're going out there and they're actually performing and doing well. Um, Cam Martinez in the back half has stepped up in one game after the injury to Josh Proctor. It's the linebacker play seems to be another big question. Dallas can't. We got news today. He is transferring. Tommy Eichenberg seems to be like another tough Borland 2.0. Tommy started at middle linebacker this past game against Tulsa and got zero tackles. I don't know how that works, but he did get a pass breakup, a pretty big one at that, but zero tackles. I don't know how the hell that's possible, but he seemed to do it. Um, Ohio State gets Akron this week. That's a building block game that maybe some things can come together. 
but there seems to be way too many questions surrounding this Ohio State team right now that need to be answered before they are considered to be... They still have a chance in the Big Ten. Do not get me wrong. I think they're still one of the best teams in the Big Ten, but on a national landscape, um, I cannot put them in the playoff right now just because they're not good enough. They're just not. They're not one of the four best teams in the country. They're... Some people are saying they're not even a top 10 team in the country. I don't know about that. Um, I think the talent's there to be a playoff team. Just Day and the rest of those coaches have to coach these guys up to fulfill that potential. Uh, Moving on, Davis asks, Week 2 Super Bowl picks. Right now, of the teams that I think that look the best, you probably have to go with... I still say the Chiefs out of the AFC, even though they lost, and then the Buccaneers out of the NFC. But I think the Rams are going to be dangerous in the NFC. Um, Going back to my Week 0 picks when I did the overall projections, I had the Seahawks winning the NFC West. I would like to formally change that to the Rams winning the AFC West because I think they are finding... I know Stafford had a few questionable decisions made and it was a closer game than a lot of people expected I think out last week in Indianapolis I actually picked the Colts to win that game they were looking good to do that before Carson Wentz's injury but um, the Rams are a team in the NFC that I think can make some noise and I think if the passing game comes along a little bit for Lamar and that defense can continue to grow and step up. And I think the Ravens have a chance in the AFC as well. So right now we go Chiefs-Buccaneers rematch as the 1A. And then the 1B, I could see the Ravens and the Rams as another thing. I know you probably wanted me to say Cleveland. Um, right now that defense I don't think is good enough to make a Super Bowl. Um, Not saying it can't get there, just right now, I don't think it is. And then, um, Dave, your last question, what are your thoughts on that girl catching a touchdown in high school football? Dave, I know you are a big fan of getting women involved in sports at a young age, just like myself. I couldn't be happier for her in the Long Island League, I believe, is where she did it. Um, Super, super happy for her and proud and glad we could get women involved in sports early on. That does it for the mail sack on this week's episode of Carts and Sack. Once again, to all the people that sent in questions, thank you so very much. That segment is not possible without you all sending questions in, so thank you very, very much. We are now going to shift focus and talk about the NFL Week 3. We get started on Thursday night between the Panthers and the Texans. The Panthers sitting at 2-0 and on the year. The Texans sitting at 1-1 after their Week 1 win against the Jaguars. And then a closer game, a 10-point game against the Browns in Week 2. A 10-point loss, though, for the Texans. Texans also losing Tyrod Taylor for an extended amount of time. Davis Mills comes in to be the starter for the Texans. I ultimately am going to take the Panthers in this one. I think that Darnold is having a bit of a resurgence with his career so far through two games. There's a ton of weapons on that offensive side of the ball for the Panthers. The Panthers' defense... Good, not great so far through two games, but I think they can continue to build and grow and get better as a defense. 
And I just think the Texans with Mills, not really sure what he's going to be able to provide. He did all right in the limited time he was there in the Browns game, but I just think the Panthers have the overall better team. I'm going to go with the Panthers over the Texans. On Sunday, we have the Bears going to the Browns. It appears that Justin Fields is going to make his first NFL start. It is going to be interesting to see how the Bears' defensive line is able to handle the pass rush of Miles Garrett, of Jadavion Clowney, of a lot of other guys. It'll be imperative for that team to be able to give Justin Fields some time. Justin, in his first action, did all right. He didn't lose the Bears the game, which is great. He did have one interception, but he had a big rush on a third down that got them and sealed them the victory. Um, I do like the Browns in this one. But they are going to be without Jarvis Landry for three weeks. I, That's sort of Baker's security blanket um, in the passing game. Somebody that can go across the middle and get you the tough eight or nine yards that you need on third down to extend a drive or seal a game. I expect the passing game to be a lot of shorter routes while... Jarvis isn't there. If Odell can come back, that adds a deep play guy that you have a Schwartz, you have with Odell. Baker has been pretty good on the deep ball so far this year, but I I think with the lack of Jarvis, I expect the tight ends to probably be featured a little bit more. So Njoku, Harrison Bryant, and uh, Austin Hooper, I expect them to get some more passes coming their way, and I think they'll probably use Hunt in the slot maybe a little bit more, or out of the backfield to catch some passes. The rookie, Felton, also got some looks in the slot this past week. Um, It'll be imperative that Donovan Peoples-Jones, who before the year, if you ask Browns fans, he thought maybe he was going to take this leap in the second year. He hasn't done much so far through two games, but with this injury, I think he has a good chance to reassert himself in that passing offense and take over. Ultimately, I do have the Browns winning this one in a close one. I think Justin Fields does decent. Um, I don't think he throws an interception, but I think he... If he can go out and do what Andy Dalton did with maybe like 30 more yards in week one against the Rams, and the Rams have one of the best defenses in the NFL, I would call that a win for Justin Fields. As an Ohio State fan and a Justin Fields fan, I hope he does well. Um, just not well enough to beat the Browns. Coming up, the next game we want to talk about, the Bengals going to the Steelers. Both these teams sitting at 1-1. One and, one, and it's Ben Roethlisberger's banged up. Uh, I It's hard for me to not just keep mentioning it. I really think Ben's done. I don't think there's like the genie in the bottle that it's sometime just randomly going to click and he's going to go back to the Ben of old. I think it's... We're on the farewell tour right now, and Steelers fans, if you want to appreciate him, these last, I mean, 15 games, you go right ahead. But I don't think right now the Steelers are a good, they're good enough to win games. Don't get me wrong about that. They did that week one against the Bills, but I don't know if they're good enough to continuously compete on the highest level. Um for playoff contenders or anything like that. I do think they beat the Bengals this week, though. Um, I think the offensive line for the Bengals is going to be in for a long week, especially if T.J. Watt is going to be healthy enough to play. Um, He has that groin injury, but 
If not, I think there is other guys on that Steelers defense that's going to be able to pressure um, a lot of guys. And another thing, I saw some things on Bengals Twitter talking about how, oh, talking about drafting Jamar Chase and skipping Panay Sewell on the draft and how these two guys at guards or whatever who nobody thought was going to start, they did so well. You had the third most sacks in week one. You gave up five, and I think you gave up a decent amount in week two. That offensive line is still fucking shit and needs to be addressed. You might have two good guys on it like that, but the offensive line is still not good, and Joe Burrow is still at risk back there every time he goes to drop back at a pass because of that ineptitude of the offensive line. So I'm going to take the Steelers over the Bengals. Next game, we have Washington, the football team going to the Buffalo Bills. The Bills back in the win column after a big win against the Dolphins in Week 2, a big AFC East win, uh, 35 to nothing. And then the Washington football team getting a, a win, a bit of a controversial win, last Thursday night over the Giants. I'm going to go with the Bills in this one. I do not think that the Washington football team has enough firepower to be able to hang with the Bills. I do think the Washington football team's defense is better than the Bills, but end of the day, I do think that the Bills win this game. Next game, we have the Ravens coming off that big Sunday night win, going to the Detroit Lions, coming off that tough Monday night loss to the Packers. I think this is going to be a close game, but ultimately, I think Lamar does some Lamar things and gets the win for the Ravens. The Ravens are for real, if they can figure out that running game and if Bateman and that passing offense for Lamar can, can continue to grow and get back, then I like the Ravens a lot, not only in this game, but in the entire year in the AFC. The next game on the NFL slate is a sack pick. The Colts going to the Titans. Right now, the line I'm taking it at, Titans minus 5. With the injury to Carson Wentz, the two sprained ankles, and the Titans coming off that big comeback win up in Seattle, I think Derrick Henry has reestablished himself as the best back in the NFL. Uh, Tannehill looked better in that game. Go back and look. He had Tannehill in that game. Three, oh, 347 yards, no interceptions, no touchdowns, but Julio Jones came on in that game strongly. Nice to see him have a good day. Six receptions and 128 yards. Derrick Henry, as I had mentioned, 162 yards and three touchdowns. This is a sack pick. I do not think the Colts are going to have an answer for either of those, the passing or the running game, and especially if Carson Wentz isn't there, you can throw out Jacob Eason as your starter. I don't think he is going to be able to score enough points to give up with the Titans, so the Titans minus five. Give it to me. Give it to me now. Next game, we have the Chargers and the Chiefs. We have a huge matchup early in the season in the AFC West. I think the Chiefs sort of are going to hit reset. I think that game against the Ravens was a bit of a wake-up call for them. I like them in this game a lot, especially at Arrowhead. I think it's hard to go in there and win. Herbert on the year, two touchdowns and three interceptions so far. Not a sophomore slump by any means so far. He was dealing in week one against the football team, the Washington football team. I'm not just saying, hey, the football team. Uh, Week two against the Cowboys, he had a few errors that... Uh, they didn't cost them the game, but um, would have done better without. Uh, it'll be, I think, imperative for Eckler to get going in this game, and I think Keenan Allen is going to have to find the end zone. Um, he's got 208 yards so far through two games, but no touchdowns. And then Mahomes, six touchdowns already on the year. 
absolutely no running game for the Chiefs so far with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. That's going to need to be a thing, or this Chiefs team is going to be a very good team, but I don't know if they're going to win a Super Bowl if they cannot establish the run at some point. Ultimately, though, I will take the Chiefs over the Chargers in this one. The next game, we have the Saints and the Patriots. The Saints coming off a loss to the Panthers in Week 2, and then the Patriots getting a big win in the AFC East against the Jets, where they're able to force four turnovers, four interceptions on Zach Wilson. I'm not... I'm not saying there's going to be four interceptions, but I think this could be a game where Jameis has some interceptions just because I think Bill Belichick and the defensive-minded coach that he is is going to be able to confuse Jameis at times, or Jameis will try and force some throws, and I think the Patriots are going to be able to capitalize and do that. I don't know if the Patriots are going to be able to score enough, though, if the Saints offense is clicking a little bit. So I am actually going to go with the Saints to go into Foxborough and beat the Patriots in this one um, in a bit of an upset. The next game is another sack pick. The Falcons going to the Giants. The Falcons are getting three points. Give me those three points. The Falcons in Week 2, the game ends a little bit closer, 48-25, than what it actually was. Um, a couple late uh, interceptions for the Buccaneers. They are able to pick off Matt Ryan on some deflected balls. Matt Ryan, last game, 300 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. Again, no running game. Mike Davis still questionable, but Kyle Pitts came on a little bit in that second game against the Buccaneers, 73 yards uh, through the air. The Giants, uh, I'm I'm just not a fan of them right now. Daniel Jones is... Still a question mark to me. That run game, Saquon, not great right now. The receivers are doing all right for them. The Giants defense gave up 30 points to Tyler Heineke. Um, I just think with a little bit more polished offense in the Falcons with guys like Ridley and Pitts and Patterson and how they use him, and if Davis can get going, I'll take the I'll take the uh, Falcons in a bit of an upset, if you will. Uh, certainly we'll take the three points if I'm getting them. Uh, next game, we have the Cardinals and the Jaguars. I think the Cardinals win this one uh, pretty handily. They survive a scare from the Vikings on week two to go to 2-0. and The Jaguars fall to 0-2. Um, I just think the Cardinals are a better team, and I think there's still some rumblings. You saw the graphic that the Jaguars put out after the loss last week saying, hey, nobody's going to work harder than us to turn this thing around. Um, That's very Tebow-esque, Florida-esque, college-esque from the Jaguars organization. Like, no shit, we're going to try and turn this thing around. Like, you don't need to go out and publicize this or whatever, and it's only week two. Like, just settle down. Uh, The next game... The Jets and the Broncos, I'm going to go with the Broncos in this one to move to 3-0. I just think the defense is probably, I don't think it's going to be like last week where Wilson throws four interceptions, but I think he is going to struggle with the pass rush for the Broncos and the secondary for the Broncos as well. Um, I expect some turnovers from Wilson, who this is a bigger bigger theme but it certainly applies to Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Trey Lance when he gets his chance. Just have some patience with these rookie guys. 
there's going to be rough games. There's going to be rough drives. There's going to be bad throws. It's how these guys learn from them and grow from them that is going to be important. You can't have this growth if you don't have the bad plays or the bad games. So just everybody settle down. It's one game. It's his second game ever in the pros for Zach Wilson. And this is coming from a guy who's not even a Zach Wilson fan. I'm not rooting for him by any means. But it it maddens me to the fact that everybody just expects these rookie quarterbacks to come in and light it up immediately. And it just it doesn't happen like that that often. Um, people struggle. And you got to have some patience and some wherewithal to put him in a good situation and... Right now, a lot of these rookie quarterbacks aren't in great situations. Like, Trey Lance is in a good one. Mac Jones is in a sort of decent one because there's, like, manageable expectations and they're not asking a ton out of him. But the Jaguars and the Jets and the Bears, they're not the best situations for rookie quarterbacks to come in and succeed. So just be patient with these guys. Uh, With all that being said, though, I do have the Broncos beating the Jets. Then we move on. We have the Dolphins going to the Raiders. The Dolphins are going to be without Tua. I'll take the Raiders in this one. I think they win pretty decently. Derek Carr has looked great so far through two games. Over almost 400 yards in week two against the Steelers, which I did not see coming at all. If Josh Jacobs is back and a receiver who maybe it can be Ruggs, who had a big game this last game against the Steelers, if they can get some offensive weapons to help take the burden off of Waller, who seems it appears it's going to be Derek Carr's just fuck it, Waller's down there somewhere, throw two guys this entire year, then I think the Raiders have a chance. With the defense that is improving and got pressure the first two weeks against Lamar and Big Ben, if they can continue to get pressure, then I like this Raiders team a lot. Um, I'll go with the Raiders over the Dolphins. The next game is, I think, probably the game of the week, uh, the Buccaneers and the Rams. This is a sack pick. I'm going to go with the Rams plus one and a half. I think they're going to be able to hang with the Buccaneers on the offensive side of the ball, put up and match any points that Brady and that offense that is clicking extremely well right now. Um, Brady has nine touchdowns through two games. That's incredible. But I think the lack of a run game is going to ultimately hurt the Buccaneers in this one. So I'm going to take the Rams over the Buccaneers. And I think that Rams defense is probably the best defense Obviously, that the Buccaneers have played so far this year, I think they're going to be able to cause some problems for Tom and maybe um, confuse him, not confuse him, but force a turnover or get a key sack or strip fumble at a key moment and ultimately is what's going to help seal the Rams' victory. Next game, we have the Seahawks and the Vikings. Vikings sitting at 0-2, the Seahawks sitting at 1-1. I think the Seahawks need this win I don't want to say there's a must win for the Seahawks by any means, but you come in week two and you have this big lead and you go and you blow it against the Titans and then you come in now, you go on the road, you don't want to fall below 500, especially in your tough NFC West division. Um, it's certainly not a must win, but it is a would be really nice to win if you are the Seahawks. The Vikings losing a heartbreaker last week on the missed field goal to the Cardinals. The Vikings are one of those weird teams where they might score 20 points or 
they might go and score like 40. Like, when that offense is clicking, I think it is extremely good. Not one of the best in the NFL, but a ton of talent on that offensive side of the ball for the Vikings. And with Kirk Cousins, if he can facilitate and just get guys the ball, which he was able to last week, then they have a chance to be able to score with a lot of teams in the NFL. But I will take the Seahawks over the Vikings in this one. The Sunday night game, we have the Packers going to the 49ers. The Packers coming off a win last week against the Lions on Monday Night Football, and the 49ers coming off a win against the Eagles. I this is a tough game. The 49ers have had the Packers number in the past. I'm going to take the Packers in this one because I think the lack of run game, um, some injuries to some weapons there in the backfield is going to what is ultimately going to cost the 49ers in this one. I think Aaron Jones has a big game for the Packers along with Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams. That's the key. Uh, if the Packers defense can make it to where Jimmy Garoppolo has to beat them, I'm not 100% confident that he can do that. And I think they're already the 49ers are already behind the eight ball with the injuries to Sermon and Mostert and Mitchell with his shoulder and Hasties with his ankles being hurt. Um, they're thin at the running position, and I think that – Shanahan is one of the best at being able to get guys the ball out of the backfield in creative ways, um, but I don't think there's enough talent there right now. Mitchell's good. Don't get me wrong. I liked what he did um, in week one when he came in for most In week two, he was doing well till his shoulder started acting up. If he can play, I'd like the 49ers' chances a little bit more, but I think the Packers do go to... Uh, the 49ers and get the win. So I'll go with the Packers. And then the Monday night game, I talked about it earlier, but I'm going to go with the Cowboys over the Eagles in this one. I just think that the Cowboys are right now an overall better team and the Cowboys defense is coming along decently. They're getting turnovers, which they struggle to do uh, uh, in recent years. They're getting turnovers, which is very important for them. Uh, I will go with the Cowboys over the Eagles, but I hope Jalen Hurts has a great game because uh, I am a big Jalen Hurts fan. Before I get to the college football portion of this, we have a late mail sack question that pertains to the Sunday night game. Uh, A late mail sack, as I said, sent in as I was recording this, but Addy Miners asked, is Aaron Rodgers going to continue to suck this year? Is he sabotaging the offense? I don't think he sucked the last game. Uh, The first game, I don't really know what the fuck was going on. But the second game, we saw on Monday night, he comes out, he has four touchdowns. Granted, nothing was... He had the one deep pass to Devontae Adams, which was very impressive, but everything else was going to Aaron Jones, which was quite surprising that he did that. And then the one to Robert Tanyan, the strike down the middle. Um, I think we are probably in for more of games like this last Monday night game than we are the first week Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he's sabotaging the offense by any means. Uh, but I'm not a big Aaron Rodgers fan. I don't like how he handled the offseason stuff. I understand his frustrations, certainly, but I, uh, I think we're in for more of week two Aaron Rodgers than week one Aaron Rodgers. I apologize for throwing this at the end, not with the regular, normal mail side questions. It was just the timing of when the question was sent in. Uh, thank you, Addy, for sending your question in. Without further ado, now we shift focus and we talk about college football week four. (laughs) 
The first game on the slate is a Thursday night game between two non-Power 5 conference teams that is important. The Marshall Thundering Herd go to Appalachian State. I'm going to go with Appalachian State in this one. Marshall's defense at times has had trouble stopping the run, and we know that Appalachian State's offense is predicated on the run. Uh, Peoples, the running back for Appalachia State, 275 yards and five touchdowns on the ground. And then Xavier Sutton, the receiver for Appalachia State, 240 yards and a touchdown. And then Bryce, the quarterback, excuse me, for the Appalachian State, 751 yards and four touchdowns. I just think that Appalachia State is the better team. They're getting seven in this one. Um, it's an important game for the non-power fives, um, but I will take Appalachia State over Marshall in this one. And then Friday, we have Wake Forest going to Virginia, where Virginia is favored, actually. Um, if you don't know him, Armstrong, the quarterback for UVA, is putting up incredible numbers from Shelby, Ohio, um, close to where both of my parents grew up, small town um, where my cousins and my aunt and uncle live and went to school, went to school with this guy. Um, he's got 1,200 yards through the air and 11 touchdowns and two interceptions. I think UVA pulls off a win here. Coming off a high-scoring loss last week against North Carolina, um, but I do think Armstrong for Virginia goes and has a big game, and the Cavaliers do get a win against Wake Forest. Um, on Saturday, Kentucky goes to South Carolina. Kentucky surviving a scare for some reason last week against Chattanooga. Maybe a look-ahead game this week that they were just totally sleeping on Chattanooga. But it was a tough, closer game than expected. I am going to take Kentucky in this one. Their record on the road in the SEC isn't great, but the team that they have success on the road against is South Carolina. Um the FPI matchup predictor right now does have South Carolina as a 56-point favorite. Um, Nolan, the quarterback for South Carolina, 407 yards and five touchdowns. Um, it's going to be imperative for Levis to not force the ball downfield for Kentucky. Take what the offense is giving you. Um, the new offense coordinator, Cone, for UK said that some of the mistakes that were made were play-calling issues, so it will be interesting to see how he is able to sort of find some balance this week with the deep shots and the solid running game and the underneath passes rather than just continuously taking deep shots. But if Kentucky's going to win, we know that the big three of Levis and Rodriguez and Wondell Robinson are going to have to play well, and I think they're poised to the first really big um, SEC game for them on the road. I'll go with Kentucky in this one. They're getting five. Um... I just think they do end up winning. Uh, the next big game we can talk about is Wisconsin and Notre Dame. Maybe a bit. This starts a tough stretch for Notre Dame. I thought they were going to lose last week per, per, to Purdue. It was a close game, and then David Bell ends up getting injured, and the Irish are able to pull away. Jack Cohn making his return game to Wisconsin. I'm going to take Notre Dame in this one. A bit of a revenge game. I think Cone goes off and the Irish are able to win. And that sets up a big, big matchup next week against the Cincinnati Bearcats um, in Notre Dame. If we want to talk about Wisconsin a little bit, Graham Mertz, only 326 yards through the air, two interceptions. That's just not going to get it done. Uh, the running back for Wisconsin, uh, Molesi, 265 yards and two touchdowns. Not the typical dominant running game that Wisconsin has been known for in the past, but I do think Notre Dame ends up winning this one. 
Um, a team I'm high on, Boston College, they host Missouri. It'll be interesting to see year two with Halfley, how they are able to compete against an SEC school. I'm going to take Boston College over them in Missouri in this one. Missouri is a two-point favorite. Bit surprised about that one, but I do take the Eagles in that. I, I know I've said it a few times the last couple weeks, not a ton of great games. There aren't a ton this week as well, but we do have Texas A&M going to Arkansas. Arkansas, after their big win against Texas in week two, how did they follow up that? They go ahead and they beat uh, Georgia Southern 45-10. to Jefferson, the quarterback for Arkansas, 632 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions, but the ground game for Arkansas, pretty good there with Smith, 216 yards and three touchdowns. Um, Texas A&M, without their starting quarterback, uh, struggled a couple weeks ago against Colorado. This week when they have a full week to prepare and against a bit of a lesser opponent in New Mexico. They were able to win 34-0. to It's going to be imperative for Texas A&M to have some above decent, which it seems that that's what the quarterback's going to be, um, quarterback play. So I'm going to take Arkansas in this one with a very talented defense. And at home, that place was rocking for the Texas game. I imagine it's going to be rocking for this one. I'll take Arkansas to pull off the upset here against Texas a&M. Uh, Clemson goes to North Carolina State. Uh, Clemson survives a scare from Georgia Tech last week. It is shocking to see how DJ Uwalowale, however you say his name, has played so far at quarterback since he's taken over the reins. He's got a touchdown and two interceptions. Um, the quarterback for North Carolina State, Leary, he's sitting at six touchdowns and two interceptions. Um... I expect Clemson's defense to be good. It'll be interesting to see if North Carolina State can put up points on them and if the Clemson offense can match those points because I don't think anybody really expected the game that Clemson had last week, the 13-7 victory over Georgia Tech. Um, It'll be interesting to see if maybe that was a bit of a wake-up call, a bit of a reset, and Clemson can come out and win in this one. Uh, the next game, Louisville going to Florida State. Louisville coming off, I was at the game, a massive win for that program at a time when they greatly needed it against UCF, the miraculous walk-off pick six that won them the game. Florida State coming off three straight losses to open the year. Um, if Malik Cunningham plays like he did this last game and Satterfield calls another good game, I can see the Cardinals going down there and winning it. But I think maybe there's a bit of a hangover, and I think Florida State really, really needs a victory. So I'm going to go Florida State over Louisville on this one. Louisville giving a point and a half, so something to keep your eye on. Moving down... West Virginia at Oklahoma, keep an eye on that one. I think that's going to be closer than the 17-point spread that is indicated. West Virginia, hopefully not with the hangover after upsetting Virginia Tech last week in Morgantown. Hopefully they show up to this game and are ready to play. Shit, there's there's really not a ton of good games in this back half. Um, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, uh, Kansas State, 25th in the country going to Oklahoma State. Um, Vaughn, the running back for Oklahoma State, excuse me, for Kansas State, 371 yards and five touchdowns, one of the best players, one of the best running backs in the country. Um, 
it'll be interesting to see if he can go and be a factor for them. I'll go with Kansas State to go to Stillwater and pull off the upset. What is the game of the week? What is the ABC game? Okay, so the ABC game is West Virginia, Oklahoma. We talked about that already. Um, a game to watch late at night. BYU at South Florida. BYU, South Florida sucks. Um, I guess the game to watch late at night is going to be probably Oregon State, USC. USC, after finding Helton, they look fantastic in the second week going and putting up some big numbers. Um, they beat Washington State. They made a quarterback change. Uh, Dart, the freshman, comes in. He throws for 391 yards and four touchdowns. He was also the leading rusher um, for the Trojans. Uh, for the Beavers, Nolan, the quarterback for them, 634 yards, five touchdowns on the year. And then the rushing, B.J. Baylor, seven touchdowns on the ground already for Oregon State. So a tough game for USC. Um Hopefully they can pull out the win. I'll take USC in that one. And that is your week four um, card. Again, to wrap it up, because I do need to talk about Ohio State. Ohio State plays Akron. Ohio State should win that. They're a 49-point favorite. Take the zips. I do not think Ohio State's going to be able to cover the 49. But uh, a game that Ohio State needs to look better in uh, for this season to look good and progress. That is going to do it for episode 88 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. As always, thank you for tuning in and listening. I really, 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 really appreciate it. Tell your friends about this podcast. Tell your family about this podcast. Share this podcast. Um, the podcast means a whole lot to me, and it means a whole lot when it, it the audience grows and you people send in questions for the mail sack and you listen and you talk to me and you reach out to me about the podcast. I like it. I, it means a whole lot to me. So thank you for doing all of that. Um, like, rate, review, subscribe, all of that on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or any other place you get your podcast from. And we will be back next week for episode 89. We are inching our way to 100. As we always end here on the sack, we will be seen.